Hey guys, Justin here. Thanks for checking out episode 26 of the Chocolate Croissants podcast. Wow, 26 episodes in, six months in, it's flown by, and uh, I really am excited to see where the next 26 takes us. Today, our guest is John Minidakis, owner and operator of Jimmy's Famous Seafood and Jimmy's Famous Meals. He and his brothers have taken the business, the family business, and they've truly built it into an international brand. It was my first time meeting John when we did the podcast, and all I can say is that I had somewhat, I had relatively low energy. Uh, it wasn't just that day, it had been for a few weeks, uh, I was being pulled in many directions, and it was amazing. By the time we were finishing up the podcast, I couldn't thank John enough uh, for the energy he was providing for the podcast and the energy he gave me. So I hope you guys experience that as well listening to this episode. Now, something really cool is that Jimmy's Famous Meals, which is a meal prep company based on the food of Jimmy's Famous Seafood, is sponsoring this episode. And I actually ordered a few things this week, one, a crab cake meal Crab cake was incredible. Lump crab, really delicious. Highly recommend that everybody orders one to try and then hop in the Facebook group and tell us your experiences or uh, shoot us a message and let us know what you thought of it. I also ordered shrimp in bulk. It was two pounds of shrimp. As a person who really loves to cook but doesn't always have the time, this just made my life easy. I could make my vegetables. I could make rice or potato or whatever I felt like having with the meal and then I could just throw shrimp right on top and I was out the door in 10 minutes or so. Awesome. So highly recommend that you go to jimmysfamousmeals.com and you check out the whole line uh, of prepared food for you, which is the meal prep. Um, there's tons of options and uh, I actually I ordered another two pounds of, uh, of meat again today. I ordered chicken this time and I'm going to play with it this week and I'll be able to report back next week. And uh, I don't know, I'm just really excited. I expect nothing uh, but a product that's going to be fantastic. So for you guys, you guys can get a 10% discount code. All you have to do is enter in all caps CHOCOLATE at checkout and you'll get that 10% off. You can check out all of their food, which is awesome. Jimmy'sFamousMeals.com. Moving on. A quick reminder, please subscribe to the show. All you have to do is open your podcast app of choice by searching chocolate croissants. Once you find it, you click the subscribe button. This way, it ensures that each and every episode will be automatically downloaded on Monday morning. You won't have to use your data when listening in the car, the gym, or wherever you consume your audio. Also, if you would take a minute to rate and review Chocolate Croissants in iTunes, that would be huge for us, and we would really, really appreciate it. And we say it all the time, um, it helps us in, in more ways than we even understand. So please hop on, please rate it, uh, and be fair. You know, However you feel like rating it, go for it. Uh, we've been discussing some ways to offer you all bonus content in the Facebook group once we hit some kind of milestone there, and I think we're going to be getting there soon. So please hop on, and uh, we're looking forward to paying you guys back for helping us there. Speaking of, if you haven't already, I'd love to invite you guys to join our private Facebook group where the conversations continue with us 
and many of our guests throughout the week. John was super active in the Facebook group this past week, and I'm sure he'll continue answering more questions after the episode is released as you're hearing it now. You can join the conversation by going to facebook.com slash groups slash chocolate croissants. We'll approve you. Don't worry. We'll get you in. We got you. This has really been, the Facebook group has really been the, the most rewarding part of the, the chocolate croissants project for us. And we're excited to be knocking on the door of a thousand members. We're right there. So join the group and then invite all of your friends to come join the conversation and come hang out with us. Uh, it's awesome. It's truly inspiring stuff. Okay. Enough of all of that. That was a mouthful and I apologize, but I had to get it all out there. So without further ado, let's get episode 26 of the Chocolate Croissants podcast started with John Minanakis of Jimmy's Famous. Enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 26 of the Chocolate Croissants podcast. Matt here with Jordan and Justin. Thank you for tuning in. So our guest today is a good buddy of mine, Mr. John Minadakis from Jimmy's Famous Seafood and Jimmy's Famous Meals. Hi, John. How's it going, guys? Thanks for having me. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Welcome. So um, I wanted to get the, the recording going right away because you guys were just digging into some very interesting stuff that I think is important to talk about to kind of set the stage for... Um, at least part of this conversation, because Jordan, it really pertains to your new lifestyle, and John is also involved in this world. So why don't you just like preface what I'm talking about so people can know? So I started working with a pro wrestling company called Ring of Honor this month, and John, you you are a pro wrestler. I'm currently on the shelf, I guess. But you've performed as a pro wrestler before. I have in the past, yeah. Okay, tell us about that. That was for Maryland Championship Wrestling? Yeah, I mean, I guess if you watched wrestling growing up, at some point everybody's had that dream of seeing what it feels like. So, um, you know, I was always taking care of myself physically, and uh, I figured, well, why not do it? So uh, we have a really good working relationship with the guys over there, and I uh, went through the classes, did the school uh, became friends with the guys, and you know when the time came, I just uh, it was supposed to be a one-off, but uh, you know the fans kind of took a liking to me because it's a pretty cool story, I guess. You know? So you got over? I did by accident. You know it was organic, so uh, they kind of kept me around as a character, so to speak, and uh, put me in some storylines. And it, Johnny Crabcakes. Yeah, it's a, you know it's a great name, I guess. It <laughs> is. Well, it yeah. it works. <laughs> It's a, it's it's the uh, Joe Every Guy or whatever the term is kind of name and uh, you know the kids you know really liked me and that was really you know humbling uh, and there's just honestly like no feeling like it I think it's something that everybody should experience once in their lifetime uh, talk to a few of my buddies that you know do the Shogun fights which is a non predetermined ending and. So that's MMA right. that's done in Baltimore at the arena. So I talked to guys like Dan Root, and uh, we discussed you know, that feeling and that adrenaline rush, and I told him I can't imagine uh, going out to that octagon and not knowing if I'm leaving on my back or not remembering the next day, you know, but you know, knowing the outcome and knowing there's a show, it really you know, uh, plays into the effect and, and the mindset, and it's something that I really can't compare it to anything else. That's really cool. Uh, this is something that I don't think I've shared publicly on this podcast, uh, and Justin as well, but we trained as teenagers to be pro wrestlers, and, and Justin did it for a few months. I did it for about a year and a half, 
But at age 13, 14, I was taking bumps as well and performing in front of people for a handshake with a $20 bill in it. Um, and it's, it's hardcore shit. I mean, the first time I took a back bump on, in the ring, which is basically like plywood, uh, it knocked the wind out of me. Um, so what was the, you said you trained at MCW? Yeah, so they have a you know, state-of-the-art school right there uh, in Joppa. Uh, they put out Patrick Clark, the Velveteen Dream now. Uh, they put out Leo Rush, who just signed with NXT. Uh, I think he's making his debut tonight, actually, on the show. Uh, so they got some great trainers. Obviously, every school likes to beat their chest and say they have the best trainers and the best facilities. But in the short time they've been open to put two guys in WWE speaks for itself. Totally. And, and they've been doing it since the 90s. You know, so, and, and really, I'd say they are one of the premier more local or regional independent wrestling companies. Um, and I even know they've rebranded to just MCW because they're growing significantly. Yeah, and it goes from the top down because they have, you know, Dan McDevitt, the owner, Dennis, the other owner. They're just like first-class individuals, and they always make sure that every customer gets their money's worth during every show. And I've, you know, watched that from afar uh, as a fan. And then, you know, when we developed a relationship – just knowing these people and looking them in the eyes and shaking their hands and seeing the way they do conduct business, it's really, really super impressive. And, it, you know, it really speaks for itself when you see the results and the way that they're recognized nationally. They're bringing in Goldberg this weekend. They're bringing in the Steiner brothers. They're bringing in Kevin Nash, Christian. I mean, it's a who's who of the past 15 years of wrestling. And for them to be right in your backyard in Maryland, it just shows you, you know, how successful they really are for a small company. Absolutely. And, and not only... Did you train and have performed as a pro wrestler, but you've expanded your relationship with MCW in other ways, uh, and we'll dig into your restaurant business and all the other things that have come from that, but one of the things you have done with MCW is hosting live events, like comedy shows, uh, stand-up kind of uh, one-man shows, talking with uh, guys like Jim Ross and Bruce Pritchard. Yeah, um, we did an RBD. Uh, that went great. We did uh, Jim Ross, as you mentioned, with uh, Jim Cornette. We did the Bruce Pitcher live, and it's just one successful event after another because MCW just really has their pulse on the local wrestling community, and they go above and beyond to bring an experience that you wouldn't get anywhere else to the local wrestling fans. And, I mean, from a business side of things, they don't attract these you know, big-dollar sponsors, and they're really just doing it because deep down, they really do love the business. I mean, if you break down, you know, the X's and O's, the black and red, they're not making the killing. They're just doing this because they enjoyed wrestling when they were children. And as adults, they want to give back to the wrestling communities. You know, these guys all have full-time jobs. It's not their main source of income, but it's just their passion really drives them. And when you're driven by passion, and they all are, it really, you know, shows in your product. Totally. I think that's so important for our listeners to hear. Um, and I want Matt and Justin to chime in because the three of us, we started this podcast out of pure passion and interest for just trying something new. And there is time for that. I know the three of us, we have this perception. And I'm, as you probably have the perception too, as a restaurant owner and operator of being so busy, uh, but you also carved out time for you to go fucking train to be a pro wrestler because that, I'm sure, was a childhood dream of yours. Yeah, I mean, Tuesday, Thursday, three hours each time, and you referenced your bump earlier. I remember, you know, my first night, I was like, I'll do it, but we're throwing the entire thing out the window. I'll come in and do, like, a chair shot, but I'm done. I was ready to quit because I've played 
probably every sport there is growing up. I've had every kind of, you know, ache and pain. There's nothing like the pain you experience after your first night of wrestling school because it just knocks your entire spine out of whack. And your body, the human body in general, it's not meant to, to fall that way. And, you know, everything you learn in, like, MMA school, for example, is to get small. And in, in wrestling, it's the exact opposite. You want to get big to create that impact, to create that, that show for the, you know, the spectator's eye. Yeah, and I want to help give listeners who don't really know much about pro wrestling uh, maybe just some insight into how you can appreciate it. So as you were talking before about getting into the mindset of someone going into a cage for an MMA fight, they should be really laser-focused on what they're doing and their opponent across from them in the cage. The difference for you when you're going out to be a pro wrestler is your attention needs to be on everyone else. If you're listening, then you're doing your job because it's really a performance at the end of the day. So you need to be open to, to connect with the fans and react ultimately to the fans. It's not only that, but um, in MMA, you're just trying to kill your opponent as quickly as possible. Whereas in wrestling, it's, it's timing. And the first thing that they teach you in school is to slow things down. And eventually, when you do go out there, that adrenaline rush is going to come out and you're going to, you know, the term is you're going to blow up mm-hmm. and you're going to get gassed real quick if you don't. And everybody thinks, no, that won't do that. But then when you get out there, you really do blow up and things go faster. And as you referenced, uh, your opponent's life pretty much is in your hands. So you're not only responsible for entertaining the hundreds or the thousands of people that are out there you know, paying money to see you. But you're responsible for that guy's, you know, life, and you got to remember every move set. You got to make sure your fist doesn't go two inches to the right. So it's a lot to process at once. A lot of these wrestlers, you know, going back to guys like George Animal Steel, like they're well-educated men. Guys like, you know, um, the guy from New Day, they all have like master's degrees. They're smart individuals, and um, you're seeing that more so now with uh, the concussion protocol that. Yeah, these guys are doing very successful ventures outside of wrestling. Guys like Chris Jericho and Raven, as we talked about off the record. Yeah, absolutely. So, Matt, I think you can relate to what John's talking about with pro wrestling in a way. Uh, You and I are drummers. We keep the time for our bands. And there's a lot of drummers who are listening to this episode right now. I know, especially when I was younger, when I get on the stage and start the set, my adrenaline is also pumping up. And oftentimes, I would play faster, but it would feel like the normal tempo. Can you relate to that? Or you remember as a kid having to work on that and slowing down? When I was younger and I was playing in bands where I wasn't using a metronome or a click track, definitely. I mean, it, it, in the very beginning, I would, you, know, you, would, you would rush because you were excited. You are excited as shit. You know, it's like your first couple shows, you're playing in the venue for the first time, you're on stage, all the lights are on you, people are there, you want to play well, yeah, you, you rush. But... Um, the difference between what I get to do and what you guys are talking about is I play in time to a timekeeper, right? I have a metronome in my ear that's giving me the exact tempo of every song that I'm playing and the rest of my band is on that same click as well. So it never really, there's never an issue, you know, unless we lose time, you know, like the computer goes out or something goes wrong, but that's very rare that something like that would happen. I'm kind of envious though, because now that, um, and, and I'm sure a lot of drummers who have played a lot of gigs without using the metronome, um, 
they can relate to this. Like there's nothing better than having control over your emotions in those scenarios. And, and you, you gain that control the more and more that you do it. Um, because when you do gain the control, you learn how to breathe. You learn how to really think about the timing of the song that you're playing. You learn how to kind of like play it in your head before you start or even like tap it out on your leg or something like that to feel it. And then you can kind of decide if you want to push and pull based on the emotion or the, 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 you know, the energy that's in the room or the emotion of the song. Um, but going back to what you guys were talking about, it just, I can't even fathom the timing and the counts and the memorization that's required because I know that not only, you know, like you said, not only are you trying to put on a show, but there's a lot of risk. Like, I wonder how often people really do get hurt. I mean, how, how often are there wrestlers that are severely injured? I'd say it's on a nightly basis. Um, at least I say in every match, somebody gets hurt. I mean, even Sunday night, you saw Cesaro get his teeth knocked in. Um, and he's one of the most traveled wrestlers on the planet. And he did it to himself. You know, it's just, you never know out there. And, and um, I'd, I'd say it's nightly. Yeah. And, it, and it's relative. And, but especially these guys, especially if you're working in WWE, they may be doing this 200 plus times a year. So that shit adds up over time as well. How often is it really bad injuries though? Like how, and, and, and to, to couple that, like how often is it based on timing? Well, I think it's relative to how you want to define really bad because I think just like any other sport, uh, you don't want to let your coaches, or in this case, the writers know that you're hurt because you might lose your spot. And if you lose your spot, there's no guarantee of ever getting it back. Right. Same way it is if you know if you're a quarterback and, and you get hurt and Drew Bledsoe lost to Tom Brady, Drew Bledsoe never got his job back. You know, so when a guy like Seth Rollins goes down with you know a knee injury, uh, you know he hasn't really been the same since then. Uh, not only booking wise, but physically as well. It's easy to lose momentum. You see it in mixed martial arts all the time as well. You know, you're on a certain trajectory and you've got a streak going. You're doing super well. Like we saw Seth Rollins WrestleMania. It takes the belt. You know, and it's and you want to be able to fight through these injuries, but you think, you know, how long can I go with them compounding before it becomes so bad that you end up like Jordan and I were there, I think it was WrestleMania 24 or 28 when, when uh, Edge came out and retired. And, you know, the doctors told him, if you wrestle one more night, you may never walk again. So, I mean, that's got to shoot you and stop you in your tracks harder than anything you can imagine because you are on this trajectory of title runs and main eventing you know in front of 80,000 strong at a WrestleMania which Jordan and I've been to two of them and there's nothing you know it's indescribable the feeling going and um you know you think that that is and nothing in any entertainment or sport no it can't I've, I've been I've tried to, to explain it to friends there's nothing yeah, I tell people I've gone to hockey games since I was growing up. I've been to you know basketball games at Courtside. I've I've gone on the field at Ravens games, and I've gone to um, you know like soccer games in in England. It doesn't compare to the energy that you get. Like Jordan, I think we were there the the first time Daniel Bryan came out and did the Yes Chant in front of seventy five, eighty thousand people. I mean, you you can't quantify what that feels like unless you're actually there. But you can tell and you can see why people when you've got a streak going you don't want to say anything that you're like, cool. Okay. So this is sprained. This is kind of a little like fractured a bit. Like I'm just going to, you know, whatever I have to do, just get me back out there. Yeah. Like recently looking at a guy recently, I know Samoa Joe was battling his knee injuries uh, for months and years. And, you know, he told me 
that he's just going to you know ride it out until he can't go anymore, and that happened recently. Uh, and now he's he's rehabbing as hard as he can to get back, but you know he's in his later stages of his career, so he doesn't know when he's going to have that spot again. So he's like, I'm just going to ride it out. And you probably see that not only from the older guys, but the younger guys as well, because the older guys want to hold on to that spot, and the younger guys want that spot. So uh, to answer Matt's question, I really think these guys do get injured every day, and just like any other sport, when you uh, hurt. You know, your right knee, for example, all of a sudden you're fighting through that and your left hamstring's going to give out because it's trying to compensate. And then the next thing you know, you're just, you know, I mean, you've seen it a million times in every sport. You're the 35, 36-year-old guy who didn't take care of his body and they're pushing out of the league. And I know, Matt, we were talking a couple nights ago. I was just asking, did you play sports growing up? And you said no because you didn't want to get injured. Well, right. I mean, I took drumming very seriously and because it's such a physical activity, um, and because I had the, the, you know, the, I guess the blinders on for it, I didn't want to take that risk because I knew what I wanted. Um, and with drumming, you know, we're not in, it's not a combat sport. It's, it's by any means, you know what I mean? It's nothing like wrestling or football or hockey or anything like that. Um, there are injuries, but it's up to you to make sure that you're not playing the wrong way and using your body the wrong way. It's funny. Um, I listened to a podcast where Maria Sharapova was on recently with Tim Ferriss, and she was talking about how it's the same kind of thing. I mean, you're not, it's not a contact sport tennis, but if you make the wrong moves repetitively and you, you learn the wrong muscle memory, you're going to fuck something up in your shoulder, which is then going to affect other muscles in your body and your body's going to compensate. Next thing you know, you're debilitated and it's, it's just these little fine tuning, you know, the little fine tuning that you need to do um, with drumming with, I would imagine something like tennis is completely different than the risk and, and the harm's way that you're putting yourself in to wrestle or to play those other sports. I actually don't think it is. Cause I mean, if you just think about it, it's, it's all just comes back to repetition. Like how many times are you going to get slammed and take a back pump? How many times are you going to take like a, a front rolling bump, right? How many times, but, but, and, and really I think tennis is actually a good comparison or good analogy for, for your drumming and the same kind of injuries because you're moving the same limb over and over and over again. If you think Maria Sharapova, you know, is, is like a number one, number two in the world, taking on Serena as like a number one rival all the time. And before she popped for uh, uh, performance-enhancing drugs, she was at the top of her game. And so you have to think like a, a golfer in the same kind of sense, and you as a drummer, you're going to do multiple, I mean, thousands and thousands of the same repetitive thing with one arm, like a, like a you know, a, 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 um, a pitcher. if you're a pitcher. Yeah, yeah right? And, oh, yeah. You, and you think you're always just like you're walking around with this like shield that has ice around you, right? You're just like taped up all right. the time. But, but what I was going to say was, you know, I'm again going back to this thing. I'm lucky because um, I get to curb that adrenaline rush and use that energy another way because I am on a click and my timing is always going to be right. Therefore, the repetition is always going to be the same every night in, of every show. Right. I imagine that the pro wrestlers who practice as much as they do, um, it's similar to that. But there isn't a metronome. There isn't a timekeeper. You know, what if you didn't get enough sleep that night and you're a little bit off? What if something happened in your personal life and you're a little bit off? What if the what if you're fucking stoked out of your mind because you know it's just this show that is amping you up and your timing is slightly off? I just feel like there's a little bit more risk, and to me, that's terrifying. You know. There's a lot of factors I feel like uh, in your wrestling match because you can go over the same match with you know the guy you're working with you know 40 times, and all of a sudden the match before you went over, uh, all of a sudden you got to cut your match time by seven minutes. 
uh, the crowd could not react to a certain spot the way you expected them to, and now you got to rewrite the match from the fly. Uh, there's so many factors. Injury, as we talked about earlier, uh, and you know, and I, I've practiced matches dozens of times. When you get out there and that crowd's going, you're forgetting spots, and you need yeah. all the faith in the world in your opponent and the referee as well. How much communication happens live in the ring with something that needs to be improvised like that? Like if, if you are down and you need to cut four or five minutes, are you communicating with the person you're wrestling while you're wrestling? Well, you know, there's terms uh, for certain parts of the match. So uh, you, you do talk to each other and you do know exactly what has to happen at each point of the match. So you might cut out two or three parts of the match based on time constraints, uh, based on injury. Based on the crowd, uh, just you know, you guys really ad lib it. It's just like any other art form, really. Uh, nothing, nothing is planned ever. But I'd argue it's one of the world's greatest performing arts, and that's a lot of the work. And what I pitched to Ring of Honor, I want to help elevate the genre and help educate people like Matt, who don't really appreciate it as an art form in the ways that he could. Uh, one, one question though, about the communication. Let's say like. Uh, you need to cut something out because you might have hurt yourself in some way. Um, and the person you're wrestling doesn't necessarily know that and they get bummed out or they're like, no, fuck that. Like in the, in the heat of the moment, like is there just a code that it's like if you have to, if you say to me, we got to cut this, is it my job to say, okay, just no questions asked? For the most part, I mean, I've never heard anything to the contrary. You guys work together so many times. You've developed not only a friendship, but a respect for each other. So even if there is any sort of jealousy or bad blood behind the stage, you don't want to get blackballed. And that's the best way right there to get blackballed. And, you know, we've seen a few examples of it uh, throughout the history of the sport where if you get that label as uh, somebody who's unsafe to work with or somebody who goes into business for themselves, as they call it, you'll never get booked again. Got it. Yeah, I mean, it would be similar to for, for Matt to understand it. If, if you were playing and the next thing you knew, you like sliced your finger open on a stick that was broken and you looked at your bandmates and said, like, this is what happened. You know, I need to take it home and get towards the end of this set. What are they going to, you know, and because there's at the end of the day, it's you're running, you're helping out, you know, running your own business. You know, as a professional wrestler, you're looking out still for the business as a whole, you know, and, and the show as a whole. And you still are trying to deliver, but you know there's a respect, and so you know yeah. somebody would understand. Hey, if, if you're injured, the last thing you want to do is try to keep going. It's a pain in the ass when that happens, though, and it has happened to me. I've like I've you know jammed my finger playing, or I've had blisters that are so bad that I'm literally like I can't use my hand, you know. And I've had to communicate to my bandmates, sorry guys, like we got to cut a song, or we got to get to the last you know the last part of this, or even Spencer, our singer, you know, he'll have to cut songs because you know sometimes his voice just gets shot. The worst part of that is really what you feel internally because you don't want to let people down. You don't want to let your partners down, your bandmates, whatever it is. And it's just tough. You know, it's funny. Like you guys are talking about um, wrestlers that that don't want to let people know that they're injured. I'm talking about, you know, being uh, just kind of going into the, 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 the 11th hour until you absolutely have to throw in the towel. It reminds me of talking to Daniel when we had him on the podcast about you know, when he was trying to find someone to help him tie his shoe, you know, and how like the last thing he wanted to do was, was ask another man to tie his shoe. And it's I, like, I couldn't really relate to that, but, and it's a totally different thing of, you know, of having one arm and not being able to tie your shoe. But 
I get it. I get like that in, that internal struggle to like either push through and keep going, um, or throw in the towel. And it, I guess you have to be your own judge of that. But fuck, I don't know. That's such a hard thing to do. And there's a lot of people that that, that are super successful that I feel like never fucking throw in the towel. And, and they probably should have. I mean, we, we're now talking about concussion, right? And concussion protocol. We see it more and more. The conversation is, and we see it more in mixed martial arts because you do have a corner in wrestling. You might go out as a singles guy or a girl and you don't have a corner. So no one's going to throw the towel in for you. It's going to have to be like a referee saying, hey, let's get this over with because we know you're injured or just stopping the match. And now we see it happen a bit more often. Like Enzo got knocked out when he hit the bottom of the ropes. And it's like, obviously, what are you going to do? You just have to cut it there. But we see it in, in MMA where... Yeah, and in boxing, you want to preserve people, like live to fight another day. And I think wrestlers are getting more hip to that as well, that, hey, you don't want to go out and just blow your load on this one show because you, granted, now it's nice that it is a bit separated where you're not going to work night after night after night at house shows and, and uh, you know, like primetime events. But you only have so many days to recover and you really can't recover from what you might put yourself through, especially if you get a concussion or like a flash knockout, you're not going to be able to recover and come back in a couple of days, but you can live to fight another day if you decide to be a bit more safe about it. And we do see it a bit more often now that people at least are having the conversation versus you oftentimes see people in boxing and they'll take you back to the corner and they'll push the doctors away and they'll say, no, 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 no. The corner will say, no, 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 he's fine. He's fine. She's fine. She's fine. And we've seen things with like John Jones with like a piece of bone sticking out of his foot and he was able to keep fighting. We saw Gilbert Melendez recently. Uh, he fought and his leg was like twice the size and they still let him go out for the third round. And it's like at this rate, you know, I know you're a warrior and we see it in wrestling as well. It's like, you're a warrior. We get that. You don't need to ruin yourself in one match. Yeah. And just uh, going to the uh, Floyd and Connor fight recently, uh, anybody that was upset with that stoppage and I'm the biggest Connor fan there is out there, you know, should have their head checked because as you mentioned, uh, preserving ourselves is the ultimate goal and preserving, you know, these fine athletes is definitely the goal for them. And a guy like Floyd who's had 50 professional fights and can still talk normally and, all he's got to do is look at his uh, uncle and his father for bad examples. Uh, he took as as few hits to the head as anybody in history. Yeah, and never knocked down, never you know, never knocked out. Exactly, Incredible. and for him to uh, realize, you know, where he had Connor in, in the fight, and to have that respect for Connor to say, "Look, man, you know, we want you around for the next five or ten years to carry the fight game. Let's end it right here." Yeah, I think that speaks volumes to Floyd's character. I think it speaks volumes to the referee and the promoters that were there because. Uh, you know, the bloodthirsty average fan definitely wanted to see somebody get knocked out. But, you know, you got to tip your hat to those guys for saying we want this guy around for many more of these nights and not the spectacle that everybody wants right now. Yeah, I think that really goes back to, you know, Jordan, again, trying to elevate the genre. And I think in part is uh, education, you know, and I think that's and, and I mean, that runs across uh, the board. It's not just educating people to understand the business and understand that wrestlers are some of I mean, the best wrestlers are the greatest storytellers, you know, and the way that Jordan runs the, the bulk of his businesses, uh, one where he goes and does drum circles, beat well, when he does them, he does it like he's working a match, which is really cool. And I said this to him and he was like, oh yeah, you're so right. I guess the thought process is to go out and kind of start off kind of slow and you get like a lock up and a, you know, you, a feel, the, you and, feel it out. Yeah, exactly. And then it's cool. Cause you know, he will give you a little bit like, 
when uh, you know a bad guy's beating on a good guy, and then they're trying to get the hot tag and get their partner, and and he's like, then he takes it away, gives it to you, and eventually takes it home, and the whole nine. And when I said it to him, he's like, yeah, you're totally right. I kind of learned the art of storytelling through wrestling, and really, the best wrestlers are the greatest storytellers. And it was the same mindset, you know, when performing in bands, writing out a set list. It's all storytelling. Um, so, John, as we start to transition to Jimmy's famous. Uh, as Justin said, whether I've done stuff in bands or these different businesses, uh, I've been quoted many times in, in you know in the media saying that pro wrestling, uh, from an artistic standpoint and a business standpoint, has been my greatest inspiration. So my question for you is, uh, how has pro wrestling, either the way you run your business or the way you've created experiences through your business, um, if so, how has pro wrestling inspired all of that? I could probably go on for 10 hours, honestly, about how pro wrestling's inspired my business model and uh, the way I try to set Jimmy's up. But uh, I say more so than anything, I just create experiences uh, for the customers. And it's not the experience that you can get anywhere else. So uh, I want to be Vince McMahon with WrestleMania in my back pocket, whereas the restaurant down the street is giving you, you know, the uh, the bingo hall experience, and um, I also try to really market my superstars, and let them go out there and shine, or in some cases, let them go out there and fall on their face, uh, and, and that's how you're going to find out who your main eventers are and who your jobbers are. I could, uh, you know, definitely the promotional part of it. Uh, I always make the universe, which is you know obviously their term for their fans. And it's our customers. I want them to know and understand that they're the ones that are really in control. So when they have a suggestion, when they tell me they want something, I'm giving it to them because at the end of the day, they're the ones signing our checks. Again, like I said, when you go out there and wrestle, you have to listen. You have to listen. So when you say superstars or, or the wrestlers with respect to your business, is that the people working there or the dishes that you're serving? It's definitely the people that work there because the people make the dishes. So uh, my brother, for example, you know, he's been on a few national TV shows now, so he's probably our, you know, John Cena, I guess. Uh, you know, we got a guy like Garrett who's won a ton of bartending awards recently, so he's a superstar, and, and people come in there because they don't just want that Miller Lite that they can get at X degree at, and watch the same game anywhere. They want to come in there for the superstars and for the four-walled experience that I, Vince McMahon, uh, offer you that you can't get anywhere else. Man, that's so fascinating. And, and I tell people, I, I offer this advice a lot. You know, we all have different interests and maybe our passion isn't what we do for a living. But I think it's such an advantage if we're able to be inspired um, or to take from just different disciplines in life. Because as you said, there's plenty of other restaurants out there. There's plenty of other seafood restaurants out there. But you may be the only one who has this vision and blueprint of WWE and the way that business has been run. And you can visualize how that analogy and, and how it all kind of transcends. And that makes you different from every other person running a seafood restaurant. Did you ever get to go to the WWE restaurant in New York? No, nah, I was a little too young before it went out of business. <laughs> oh man, it wasn't much. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah. It, it was, was as like a fourteen-year-old cool. kid. It was cool. Uh, the food was fucking awful. Yeah, like pile driver pasta or whatever. I mean, you know, a guy like Vince though, he probably thinks at this point, and he's overcome every odd there is. He probably thinks he can put his name on anything and it'll sell. And 
as you see with like a lot of multi-million dollar you know athletes when they retire they invest their money into restaurants immediately almost and every single one just you know closes up within three or four years everybody saw it here when ray lewis tried to enter the restaurant world it's tough man it's uh i wouldn't advise anybody anybody to get into the restaurant business it's got to be your life but i mean we freaking loved it like, we went cool. there, you know, it was the best. Yeah, like, I went to Hulk Hogan's restaurant a couple of times in Tampa before he got into that trouble, and it was cool as a wrestling fan, but the food was terrible, as you mentioned. Uh, you know, Jimmy Hart was there running around. I went as a wrestling fan. You know, the average American, probably not going there. But you focus on quality both in your staff and the food and brand, and that's why people keep coming back. And, I mean, you just said before, uh, a wrestler named The Miz, who people may even know from the real world back in the day, um, and as someone who's really transcended pro wrestling, uh, he's texting you saying that he's really enjoying your meals. So, I mean, you're, you've created a brand uh, founded in quality, and, and it's resonating. I think it goes deeper than just the food quality, though. I think, um, as we touched on on the Facebook post, uh, you know, people can just really feel when something's real, and they can get a great crab cake anywhere. They can get you know a great Manhattan anywhere. Uh, they can get a good price anywhere if it's marketed right. They'll go there and try it out once. But when we get to the Jimmy's once, they really, if we're doing our job right, and if our model is true. They feel like they're part of the family. And I'll be damned if I don't get somebody in for the first time, I don't see them a second, third, fourth, fifth time, and they really become part of what we preach and what we believe, and that is they're part of the Jimmy's family now. Like You're in. You're one of us immediately. The authenticity comes through, and, and it's undeniable. And, you, and the, the great thing is I'm sure from a wrestling standpoint, people who come in, if they love professional wrestling, they can look at you because – they can see the aesthetic. They can see your love for it. You look like a wrestler. I think of a couple guys who you, you know you could kind of put together in some kind of monster, and that's you. And it's great. And and I think the wrestlers can even relate because you practice what you preach. You live it. You you breathe it. You've gone out and taken bumps. You know. I mean, that's cool. You've paid your dues. And so uh, you know, it's funny. I kind of never, ever, ever bring that up with any of the wrestlers. But they can probably just they see it. They just know what's up. But I've never. Been like, oh, I'm one of you guys. You Secretly, know? they know that you're trying to like yeah. call them out. I mean, we're all marks, right? Right. Of but. course. <laughs> but but but, dude, if they know and you're not gonna lead with that, then they'll probably respect you even more. Yeah, I guess it's um, the easy way to get into the conversation. Like, hey, you know, I've I've been where you are, and they're I like, think sure. They kind of like they they kind of know, but they don't want to bring it up, kind of thing. I don't want to be like the know it all. Like, oh yeah, I know. Well, I know exactly what that term means. You know, I think the reason and the way that. We became the wrestle zone, uh, not only for fans but for the boys as well. Is for a large extent, anywhere you go as a wrestling fan, you're kind of shunned. You're given the side eye. Uh, nobody really markets towards wrestling fans. They want the Ravens fans to come in, you know, because they think they have money. Um, they want the baseball fans to come in, but it's always been taboo to promote wrestling. And what we've done is we've given wrestling fans not only locally but up and down the East Coast, I feel, a safe place and a place where they feel welcome, and they're not shunned, where you can come in there with you know, your $350 belt on your shoulder and you know, your Roman Reigns T-shirt on. Nobody's going to laugh at and you. people like, love it. You're one of us, man. Like, it's right. cool. Like, order you know, the wrestling-themed drink. You know, watch the pay-per-view with us on Sunday night instead of the Cowboys-Redskins game, and it's cool. And then on the other side of things with, with the wrestlers, I think it's twofold there. Number one, they're not getting harassed because we make sure that. 
by you know, because the last thing you want after you know putting your body through hell is you know four or five people harassing at your table while you're trying to eat a crab cake. But I think the part that makes them feel even more appreciated is we make it a point to treat them even better than we treat any other quote unquote celebrity or a Ravens player or Oriole because let's face it, those guys go anywhere and get recognized and probably get their stuff taken care of anywhere they go. These wrestlers, man, and you know, now that you're working with Ring of Honor, it really is a traveling circus. Mm-hmm. And for these guys to keep their bodies in the shape that they keep it in is mind blowing because you have to find a different gym in a different city every day. You're responsible for your own travel, you're responsible for your own lodging. And then how are you going to eat clean on the road? So now even if you're using a meal prep company like ours, how are you keeping those 15, 20 meals warm and refrigerated for a trip from Baltimore to New York to Pennsylvania to Virginia and then go home to your family and try to live a normal life for three days? It's it's mind-blowing. It really is. And I respect that just from you know the, the few training sessions that I had. I could never, ever imagine doing that for a living, ever. So I want to touch on a couple of things. One, the fact that you're treating these wrestlers so well, it's paying off in the sense that, like, I can't think of another American restaurant that has become a destination for not just guys in WWE, but Ring of Honor as well. I've seen them tweeting out photos, eating your food as well. Yeah, we actually uh, used, to, used to have a Ring of Honor uh, post-taping parties back when they used to film at Burns. Right. Yeah, before Ring of Honor kind of blew up nationally. So um, that's how that relationship started. And, you know, it's, it's continued even now when they're a much bigger deal, obviously, than they used to be. But we had the Young Bucks in a few times. Um, a buddy of mine, Jeff Jones, used to work for the company. So he's our liaison so to speak, with the company and, um, you know, the villain. A lot of those guys come in, and they're great guys. And the one thing that you'll see is they're just as humble as, you know, the top guy in WWE because that brotherhood is one of, if not the strongest in all professional sports because they're, uh, they take care of each other, man, and they take care of each other's kids and grandkids and that's why you see, you know, families really stay in that mix more so than NASCAR or the NFL or anything else like that. Because once you're in that fraternity and once you're in that family and you're seeing it with the Ultimate Warrior's daughters and his wife now, they take care of you forever. It's pretty incredible. And what you've done on the side of the actual talent of these wrestlers and creating uh, just a destination. When when the guys are in the area, they look forward to going to Jimmy's, and now they look forward to sharing that they've gone to Jimmy's. On the other side of that are the fans, and what you've always known, but others are now starting to learn, like a USA Today or an ESPN or a Sports Illustrated, is that wrestling fans are loyal. And so you knew that, and by catering to wrestling fans, you created this opportunity for yourself in the marketplace to also be a destination point where these people are going to be brand loyal to you. Yeah, I think uh, wrestling fans are a, a very, very neat and cool blend of comic book fans and sports fans. And they're loyal not only to their favorite wrestlers, but to the industry. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if the Ravens are out of the playoff mix by week 13 – a Ravens fan might not be watching the playoffs in the Super Bowl. If uh, your favorite wrestler is not main event in WrestleMania, you're watching WrestleMania. And uh, when somebody knocks wrestling, uh, 
everybody gangs up on them. And you see that anytime a mainstream uh, radio personality like Colin Cowherd, for example, goes on a rampage against wrestling, you see the entire wrestling community come together as one and just go ballistic on them. For the music fans, I saw the bass player from Kings of Leon this past year yeah, uh, was talking him. shit about pro wrestling, and he got blindsided and acknowledged that he didn't realize uh, just what he could stir up by just poking at it. Yeah, the funny thing about wrestling fans is it's kind of an unwritten rule that we can make fun of each other, but you outsiders, don't you ever think about making fun of us because we will unleash hell on you. Didn't Conor McGregor get into it as well? That was strategically planned. Right. But he, right. he is a pro wrestler at the end of the he's day. He's Rick Flair. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I mean, I had, a, I had a whole conversation with, um, you know, speaking of of working with athletes and, and, and doing the, uh, the, the meal prep side. I, I spoke to, like, the, the head dietitian of the Dolce Diet, Mike Dolce, who is most notable for, for working with Ronda Rousey. And she kind of was just throwing out some people. And I was like, I mean, because she didn't really, I mean, she threw out Hulk Hogan as someone from the context, didn't matter what we were talking about, but we were like Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz and Hulk Hogan and this one and that one. I mean, they're just the best professional wrestlers, like putting on the best personas. Everything about Conor screams professional wrestler. And not only Conor, but you're seeing the UFC as a whole just completely copy Vince's model. You're seeing, you know, the elaborate national anthems now when the Nate O'Connor come out. They're having the dramatic entrances, which has been a staple of wrestling. And actually, Pride did earlier. Right. It, I, I thought that it would come over to the States a lot earlier than it did. You're seeing matchups that are not number one versus number two. It's big name versus big name, just like it is in pro wrestling. A person who has the look versus another person who has the look. And you're just seeing them just copy that WWE model. And they're not doing a good job of it because... I feel that the UFC is having an extremely difficult time right now making stars, whereas WWE is really, at a, I would say, at a renaissance period right now with a ton of stars that are going to take you know, the so-called torch and run with it. But the one difference between UFC and WWE is if I'm Vince, I know who the star is going to be because barring injury, I can predict the outcome. With the UFC, a guy can have the look, a guy can have the gab, but... You know, he gets knocked out once, all of a sudden he's gone. So if you Ronda think Rousey. About, right. Well, if you think about it, the the only three names, I'd argue, that the average American knows in MMA are Conor McGregor, Ronda Rousey, and John Jones. Conor McGregor. And maybe Mike, Brock Lesnar. Who kind of transcends, so, right? Transcends Brock Lesnar, pro wrestler. Right. John Jones, finished. Ronda Rose Ronda Rousey, pro wrestler, it seems like. More than likely. And Conor McGregor, who might never go back to them ever again. Who just so, fought Floyd Mayweather, who was at WrestleMania. Exactly. So who, if you're the UFC and you're Dana White, are you marketing? You know, the, the real problem and, and the reason why I think WWE is uh, far superior as promoters is that you get to have a persona. And I think that's very similar to how you get to do the aesthetic, the persona, the whole nine with running jimmies. You don't get that in the UFC because everybody wears a uniform. So you don't get to, it's harder to create a star because they don't get to do what they want using their platform. Yeah, the Reebok deal was uh, definitely, in hindsight, just a, a big time suicidal move for the UFC and its stars. There was actually a, uh, a wrestler, um, or rather a, yeah, yeah, he, he was, uh, I think he was an Olympic gold medalist. Um, he just fought on the undercard, I think the prelims, of a Canadian card that, they, that the UFC just had, and Jinder Mahal was supposed to walk him out. But I think he got stuck in Hurricane Irma's yeah, wrath, yeah. right? So he wasn't. But part of it was that 
he wanted to wear um, he wanted to wear some some traditional garments, and the UFC liaison for Reebok didn't understand the religious context of what he wanted to wear and told him no. And then the higher ups kind of got part of it. And we're like, oh, and it's the same way that I think the WWE is is using gender and promoting him to a whole new demographic. The UFC could have had that, and maybe will have that with the star and have that crossover appeal having Ginger walk out. You know, and, and then again, you can kind of just see the power of wrestling. Vince just gets it, and people can knock him and say that he's lost touch with reality, but people forget that's a weekly TV show that's been airing new episodes for how many years now? Since 93 was Monday Night Raw, and then SmackDown in the late 90s. Like number one episodic running show. So, I mean, since the 90s, I mean, now it's five hours of original programming between just those two shows on cable. And he's pulling in new advertisers every week. He's evolving and he's changing with the times. And that's why he's always been my personal role model because, suppose, you know, he took the company from his father, which is, I guess, a knock, but he just turned it into a global enterprise. And he has been the most cutthroat person when it comes to competition, where if you're not on my side, I'm you're my opponent. And that's how I create that mindset with you know our team where not only do you I tell them don't look at other restaurants as competition look at Starbucks look at anything that can give the customer entertainment and experience the movie theater that's all competition because people obviously are going to get hungry they don't have to come to Jimmy's but they also might want a night out and go to the movie theater give them a reason to come to Jimmy's instead you know they might want to go just be social Give them a reason to come to the gym instead of going to Starbucks. Every everything around you is competition, not just the other crab house or the other crab cake place. You have to look at everybody's competition, and you have to realize that they're all coming at you. So never let your guard down, and always be on your game. And if you see your teammate not pulling their weight, it's your responsibility to pull them up too, because you're only as good as your weakest link. So we can market all we want, for example, for our tailgates. If one call comes in and somebody in the carryout or the hostess desk is answering the phone and doesn't know what to say, all that marketing, all those videos, all those pictures, all that planning just went out the window. So at, I, I want to um, kind of draw a parallel uh, to the Monday Night Raw stuff you're talking about going back to the 90s and go back to the restaurant because when, did, when was the restaurant founded by your dad? 1974. So. Okay. So I want to talk about that in a second, but before we do, um, I just want to take a quick sidebar to the tailgates, which you mentioned, because <clears throat> that, that to me is really interesting, because to me, a, a tailgate before Ravens game is an example of competition, right? You figured out a way to completely infiltrate that, and now you have one of the, if not the biggest tailgate at the Ravens game every weekend. Every yeah, week. and the, tail, the tailgate is just my baby. Because it's the first project my father ever gave me. So, uh, you know, in 1996 or 97, whenever the Ravens came to town, he was just looking for a way to drum up business. So he bought a bunch of PSLs that the Ravens convinced him to buy. And he said, all right, now, you know, we have these. So how do we get customers in here? So, you know, I, I looked at uh, a couple other places that were doing buses. So I rented a cheese bus. I uh, got a keg of beer and a couple cold cuts, and that was the first Jimmy's tailgate ever. And then it just grew and grew and grew, and it, it, we have some great customers, man. It got to like 100 people, 150 people. And then I started looking around, and there's you know two or three other people trying to copy our model with the all-you-can-drink kind of deal, and 
especially this year, I, I saw three or four different you know tailgates popping up, and I looked at myself, I looked at my brother, and I said, you know, these guys want to play that game, and I went full Vince mode. I said, I'm going to crush these guys, and that's what we did week one, and we are creating an experience. People do not realize there's a football game at one o'clock because we have some of the best bands in the area. We have a DJ. We our food speaks for itself. We have every major brand of liquor you can think of. Uh, we have alcoholic snowballs coming this week. We have other restaurants that are helping us out through the you know rest relations that we built coming in and offering their food. We have Baltimore in a box coming. Fed throw sunglasses. Everybody wants to be a part of this thing. And it's at a very historic location, which is going to be the future Hammerjacks. We're a block from the stadium. And I don't care if I lose five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars every week, just to prove a point that I created this and nobody's gonna keep up with us, not only in Baltimore, but in thirty one other NFL cities too. So, and now, how many people are coming to this? Not just riding the buses there, but actually able to attend at this point. What's the, what's the capacity? So, week one against the Browns, we did 802 people walked in. That's amazing. Which is insane, because our goal walking into that, even with my chest out, was 500. And we were past 500 before Friday. Uh, for the Steelers game this week, my goal is 1,000. So, uh, if I don't hit that, I'll be really disappointed in myself. We have a really good band, lovely Rita. I don't know if you guys heard of them or not. For the you know first game, we had uh, Here's to the Night, a hell of a 90s band. And just people just the, – the energy level is insane. And I'm really, really, really looking forward to the energy level and the mood this week because with everything you're seeing on TV, with the NFL, it's going to make everybody completely forget about it for three hours, man. And that's our goal. We just want to bring people together. We're not a restaurant. We're not a bar. You know, we're a brand, we're a family, and people are going to really feel that way this week. Here's the night is Danny Mays playing bass. Yeah, who was a ring announcer, is a ring announcer right. for yeah. Maryland right. Championship yeah. Wrestling. Right. So there you go. It all comes full circle. You know, I, I think this is everything you do, and I even saw that you were doing buses to meet Tom Petty and yeah. different concerts. You were doing uh, buses, I think, to Philly to go to Broad Street. And we'll do Philly for the Royal the Rumble in January. Okay, okay. So Jordan and I are in. Um, you know, but really, this is your WWE universe. This is your crack at it, right? You're creating community uh, and universes for people. You know that there are all these people, and maybe they're disenfranchised, they're at home, they're sitting on their couch, maybe by themselves, maybe with a friend, a spouse, whoever. And you're like, hey, I know that you two or you three and you one over there and that guy and this girl and whoever, you all should be together because you have this common interest. Just like when you get into the arena downtown and there's 10, 12, 15,000 people strong there for a WWE show. And it's the same thing. You're creating your own universe. And we try to create different uh, brands and extensions of the universe just the same way Vince does. You know, Raw, the Raw audience, for example, might be my Ravens audience. The SmackDown audience, for example, might be my meal prep people because a guy that's in the meal prep probably is not out drinking in a bar five nights a week. And just so on and so on, we create a bus trip for every kind of customer, rap concerts, NHL, NBA, college basketball. We want everybody to be a part of this. So if you don't like NXT, you're definitely going to like Raw. If you don't like Raw, you like the women wrestling. We're going to find what you like, and we're going to give you the best version of that possible. It's all into the brand experience. I mean, it's your umbrella and everybody is getting the same experience no matter what you're into. And it's great because, 
you know, different strokes for different folks. If you don't like vanilla, you'll like chocolate. If you don't like that, you like strawberry. Great. You like mango, whatever. I'm going to make sure. And it's great as, as some, you know, we need more people out there who can say, hey, I'm going to put my interests aside or actually take your interest in just creating the party and letting people experience it. And more people can just go out there and say, hey, I'm going to curate all of this greatness for you. And I know that is a big part of what Jordan's going to do with Ring of Honor. Yeah, Ring of Honor right now definitely has that hardcore base. And they've really got them. They're extremely and fiercely loyal to Ring of Honor. And you know, the, the, the number one thing I'd argue that Ring of Honor has going for them right now is it's a proven star factory, man. And it's just like uh, going to the local AAA game or going, it's just, you know, you're seeing a future star there. The I, nice thing about Ring of Honor is that it's considered legitimate. Like the wrestling, the wrestlers, uh, the core of the product, there's a legitimacy, there's an authenticity, uh, which made it really appealing for me. There's other wrestling promotions out there where maybe they have like a shinier package, but the core, the guts, you, isn't there. And, and to your point earlier about marketing, it's like, does it feel real? Is it the real deal? And that's what you're striving to create. That's what Ring of Honor has. And now my role is to help kind of draw the potential out of that core. Yeah, and, you know, Ring of Honor has been around for a long time, you know, the same way we have. And as you mentioned, people know when it's real and when it's not. And when it's not, all of a sudden, you're the four- and five-year restaurant that didn't make it, has a for-sale sign out front. And, you know, our record kind of speaks for itself at this point. If we didn't believe in what we're doing, we'd have gotten out of the game a long time ago. So I wanted to go, I want to go back. Unless, Justin, did you want to chime in? I just wanted to say quickly that I, I think it's how, uh, just how cool wrestling – is in that it just transcends so much bigger than what it is. And I think that's the same thing that you're doing. My fiance will throw her arms up in the air and, and now he's with NXT, but she'll throw her arms in the air and say, Adam Cole, baby. She doesn't know who Adam Cole is. Um, she'll too sweet us, you know, cause we all too sweet each other when we walk around. I mean, it's like, it's, it's a, a whole, culture. It's a whole culture. It's a subculture. It's every, great. every girl can find a guy they like on wrestling. That's for sure. You know I mean? They're definitely eye candy and the better looking wrestlers get the better pushes. I mean, it's, historically proven obviously because you not only appeal to the male wrestling fan which is the basic one but now the kids want to be just like you and the women want a piece of you so if you have that kind of you know package and look and you can wrestle the sky's the limit for you and adam cole's one of those guys for sure yeah so okay so i want to just go away from this for a little bit and talk about a little bit of the story your story um and the restaurant story and just how it it started with you know just this small location, and now it's obviously much bigger than just a brick and mortar spot, right? You have all of these things that we've been talking about. You have the meal prep business, which I know has taken off from when you started it, um, and to my knowledge, it started with with people just hitting the pavement, going out there locally, and now it's beyond the local scene. You have guys that are professional wrestlers that are eating your meals, right? So I guess if there is an abbreviated version of the story, how really when you took over and even how you grew up in the restaurant, it was your house, wasn't it? Yeah, so we literally grew up on top of Jimmy's up until three or four years ago was our apartment. Right. And, um, you know, my father opened in 74, and then he passed away in 2003. So at the time, uh, I'm 20. Uh, my brother Nick's 19, and Tony's 16. So uh, you know, you put any 20, 19, and 16 year old kid uh, in charge of you know a monster like that, and the results probably aren't going to be that good. And you know, they definitely weren't good for a long time. But um, 
we stuck at it, man, because, you know, we had passion. And, um, you know, I, for one, I was never going to let, you know, every guy that told me I couldn't do it be right. So I was, you know, I was putting in like 20, 21-hour days, and my brothers were too. And um, I don't want to just get into every little detail, man, but things definitely started taking a turn for the better after a while. And, you know, they say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing every day. And expecting a different result, well, I think we're the exception to that rule because we did do the same thing every day. And eventually, man, it just broke through, and I, don't, I can't put my finger on it, uh, one particular thing. But uh, you know, there was a breakthrough at some point, and I think there was a transition from the old Jimmy's, Jimmy's Famous Seafood, to what we call the famous now. And, um, I mean, it's been one hell of a ride, man, and... We were basically three know-it-alls who knew nothing, and it wasn't because we were arrogant or our hearts weren't in the right place. It's just that we were just never taught the right way because my father was just such a hands-on operator that um, he just did everything himself, and he wasn't he was a, he led by example, man. So he wasn't telling me what to do. I just I had to look at him and do it, and just follow his lead. And I couldn't always do that because. You know, one thing about my father is he stressed education. So he wanted us in school and on top. So when we weren't working, we were in school. And then when he's not there anymore, it's kind of like you're looking at each other like, well, what the fuck are we going to do now? You know what I mean? Uh, you got, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in bills due. So who's paying them? It's like, well, I got you, you got me, and you got me, and that's it. And everything else kind of takes care of itself. And you know, learned a lot of life lessons along the way. A lot of people, you know, bounced out on us. Uh, but I wouldn't change a fucking thing. You know, this definitely made me who I am today. When you guys took over, how much of the business did you really understand? I knew how to make drinks. <laughs> you know, Nick and Tony knew how to cook. You knew where you were getting food from? Yeah. What I you mean, were going to order for the week? Did you know how to, like, actually process no. any of this stuff? Hell no, man. It was just like, we were so lost. And it wasn't a secret. So, of course, you know, if you're a liquor salesman or a beer salesman or a food salesman, you see, you know, three kids ripe for the take and yeah, you're going to you, you're gonna fuck the shit out of them, man. And you're going to, so, you know, there were times where I would go into my liquor room and there were 400 bottles of shit that I never ordered. But because, you know, I did not know what I was doing, I'm stuck with it. And it took a long time, man. There were some dark days. And to be honest with you, they're kind of blocked off my memory bank because it's just like, uh, there's Jimmy's and then there's the famous and you know things just started really going well. Oh, gosh, I say around like 2013, I would say that late. Uh, whenever the the Ravens won their most recent Super Bowl, it just felt like things were starting to click. And I think that we just took that wave and we really ran with it. And it's where it is now. And that's why you know we never get cocky and we never get arrogant. We don't take shit for granted, man, because we lived it. And you know we kind of. Uh, we take a lot of pride in it, a ton of pride in it. So I, I know you said you, you really can't identify, but was there a specific instance or a specific turning point where it just clicked for you personally, mentally? You know, was there this, you've always been extremely confident and um, I think determined, and that's obvious, but like when was it that you just assumed the role of the Vince? When, um, when my brother left and went to Florida, that's when like it kind of was like a reality check to me. Like uh, if things are so bad here that he's got to leave to raise his family and go somewhere else, 
then you know we're definitely doing something wrong here because there's no reason why he should not be able to raise his family here and you know so that was a reality check and you know coinciding with that that's when my brother Tony really got into the kitchen and he stopped waking up at noon every day and started waking up at seven and eight and uh I think once we looked at each other and you know he took care of the kitchen I took care of the rest you know things just kind of skyrocketed from there man and we have a really 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 good team around us and we have some loyal co-workers man and I you know I don't call them employees you know because they're right next to me and they work more than me and they're superstars and there's days I know the bartenders were making like 20 and 30 bucks a night and they weren't quitting they could have gone to any bar you know a lot of bartenders like prostitutes they just go you know wherever the payday is that night and you see it all the time in this in this market but we'll go to, you'll see this the bartender at you know the warm weather place in July and then he's at the Ravens bar in September you know Right. And who's he loyal to himself? He's not loyal to you. So you don't want those people. And you know we're at the point now where those people are coming to apply to us. And I'm like, nah. If you weren't here for the struggles, you're not going to be here for the good part either. And you know a lot of that is, like Vince, like he stays loyal to a fault sometimes mm-hmm. to his people. But if you're my guy, I'm loyal to you because you show that to me. Yeah, and he stays the course, you know, and that's something that you did through what seems like maybe 10 years, a decade of, of struggling. And I, I really commend you for that because I don't think people really understand. There are people who love to cook and they think that, you know, maybe I would open a restaurant. And I don't think they have any clue the ins and outs of what it would actually take. Because, I mean, even just like if, if you just sat there and thought about, hey, I made this great dish and you try to then sit uh, and scale that, well, how many people am I going to have coming in tonight to buy that dish? And if I don't sell all of what I order, then what am I going to do with it? How am I going to deal with what's law? Am I just going to cut my losses or make like fish stew or something, right? It's so much more than that, though. It's, and that, I touched on it earlier. It's the worst business to get into. And if you're not born into it, I don't suggest anybody get into the restaurant business because it will consume you. And... If you think about the typical looking restaurant owner, like they probably don't look like me, you know, they, these fat slobs, and because they're drinking every night at their own bar and they're trying all the food, and all the food that's ready is probably stuff like French fries. So it, it'll, and that's just the physical part. Like the mental part is even worse because you're just beating yourself up all day. It's not just if my fish goes bad; it's the inspections, the you know, the permits, the weather here in Baltimore crime, theft, there's so many factors that go into it. So basically you have, you know, two or three things going good for you. You can cook, great. You can make a drink, cool. You're a good-looking guy, great. Now you got 50 things going going against you. So what's going to, you know, come through and it's a funny cuz when when Roman first came in, I have like my Mr. Perfect shirt on. I look like a total mark. And you <laughs> Did know, you know he was coming that night? Yeah. Okay. No, I was freaking the fuck. As out. a quick aside, it's it's actually this is the funniest conversation because we're we're throwing around wrestling terms like it's just like you know part of your everyday vocabulary. And I'm sure yeah. we're gonna have to have like a translation, like a keyword, <laughs> yeah. like oh by the way, yeah, like I'm a mark, I believe have, it all. Yeah. So know? he, uh, you know, they had they were there all night and they were drinking, having a great time, and they loved the food obviously. And on his way out, he's like, "You're the owner." I'm like, "Yeah." And he's like, "Oh," because like you're probably used to these 400 pound bohemists whenever they go somewhere for dinner. Same thing with Mickey Jane when she came in the first time. She's like, "You're the owner." I was like, "Yeah, you know, it's because they just it, it kills you. The business kills you. And if you can just go through like three or four guys that you might know that have restaurants or bars, and you look at how they look when they bought the place or opened the place and how they look now, I know they don't look healthy." Did you look this way 
across all of those years? Did you look the same way you look yeah, now? Yeah, and I and you know, um, I accredited fitness and the gym with just keeping me sane throughout not only you know my father's passing but everything in between because when you got that you know hour two hours some days 30 minutes to yourself and there's a a routine there it's if you do this and you do this and you do this and do them right and honestly you're going to look like this but if you take shortcuts and you cheat you're going to look like this and that's a great model for any business so we have a few questions from our listeners in the Facebook group, uh, facebook.com slash groups slash chocolate croissants. Uh, and one is about fitness and routines in general. And you've already kind of stated how your fitness routine also applies to routines in other areas of your life. Uh, but this is from Austin Jones from Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Sounds like an amazing place. So, so Austin says, as someone who fell out of physical fitness routine, I found that motivating myself to get out and exercise is harder than I remember it being. I'm not necessarily trying to bulk up, but I do want to get back in decent shape. So, John, do you have any tips for someone uh, trying to make exercise a bigger part of their daily life? Just go to the gym, man. Just get in your car and go to the gym. That is 98% of it. And once you do that three or four or five times, whatever the scientific number is to make it a habit, it's true because it carries over into every single facet of your life, your professional life, your personal relationships, your eating habits, because you don't want that to go to waste now. And it's... I'm the worst with science, but I know that it's scientifically proven with the endorphins and whatnot that it makes you a better human. And that's why there's gyms everywhere, and there's always been gyms, and there's always been the Olympic Games, because they make us feel better about ourselves. And when you feel better about yourself, you make your girlfriend feel better, your wife, your son, your kids, your coworkers. And that's why I was really upset to learn that Jim's been taken out of the average core program now at school. I think that's absurd because, you know, if you're not going to be a pro athlete, fine. But these kids need to be playing with each other and learn life skills and release those endorphins we talked about. So it, something I had on my list to talk about is, um, one, I know you're very involved with charity work year-round, um, and you work with kids year-round. Can you talk a little bit about that stuff and what you do and how involved you are in the community in that regard? Sure. Um, you know, that goes back, I went to Loyola High School and Loyola Middle School. And, you know, any um, Ignatian school, they really just beat that into your head. And, and they teach you that it makes, it is a part of life. And I think anybody that's ever volunteered even 20 minutes of their time can tell you there's no better feeling. Just not. You can win every award. You can, you know, make millions and millions of dollars. There is no better feeling. And, you know, I know my girlfriend, she works at Kennedy Krieger, and, you know, she does it every day. You know, I'm not in a situation to do that right now, but, I mean, I can tell you, like, we're working on Make-A-Wish right now, and at the end of the month, we're going to make some really cool shit happen, and it's just, like, I love thinking about it. And then I, I know I'll get teary and I'll get emotional when it, you know, it does come to fruition, but uh, my judge of a man is what are you giving back? Because anybody can run a good restaurant. Anybody can play in the NFL for three years. But what are you giving back? Like, What are you putting back out to the universe? That's the real question here. And, and if you're not, I'm not judging you, but, I mean, you probably are a piece of shit. And what you're talking about, like, it's real. You do it because it's the right thing to do. You do it because it feels good, right? And, and making others feel good. It's also really good business. But the fact that you're not doing it primarily for the business is why it's good for the business because again it's real 
Yeah, and um, to touch on what you said, uh, a lot of the recent stuff we've done, I've kind of been on uh, just, I don't want to advertise anymore. You know, we'll show you why, you know, what we're raising it for, but we're not going to show you the dollar amounts anymore, and we're not going to show you all that good stuff because we're doing it for the right reason. And some, you know, I think people can sniff that shit. Mm-hmm. I think when they when they see, you know, an athlete, for example, get in trouble for a racist comment and then donate $5,000 to the African-American Museum, you know that's bullshit. But, you know, when we're doing this every day, year-round, like, there's not a week at Jimmy's where we're not involved with some kind of charity. And, you know, we don't advertise... 90% of it probably. And requests come in all the time, and we never, rarely ever say no. Because like, at the same time, I too can smell bullshit. So if I see a shaky charity out there, I'm just going to be like, ah, maybe, maybe you should go somewhere else. But, you know, we're doing Make-A-Wish right now. Where, uh, we, actually, it's pr- really cool. Because had, I had two, like, two-hour phone calls last week. The one was with Make-A-Wish, and the other one was with... Um, Special Olympics Maryland, and we just decided that we're going to partner up with them year-round because we have really good relationships right now with my former high school where we have four scholarships set up now. And uh, Show Your Soft Side, which is probably our, our number one charity right now. But, you know, I, I have a little more free time now, and I really want to make this a point, and I want to make this uh, a staple of the Jimmy's brand and every extension of that brand moving forward so that when I'm not there every day, these people that I have running the show now know that this is what we do. And, I mean, I, I really, I guess we'll talk about it. So, you know, with the Make-A-Wish thing, you know, we have a bunch of Wish kids coming October 30th when WWE's in town. And I got Roman coming in, and we're going to take them in the back, and we're going to surprise the kids, and they're going to meet Roman. That's amazing. That's really amazing. And, and I like the, the fact that you're bringing up just being able to smell bullshit. I work with a lot of kids doing these kind of drumming, community building, empowerment programs, and I think kids more than anyone can smell bullshit, and they will know if I'm there thinking about the money, because if they smell that, they're going to make me work for every dollar. So, I mean, it's not why I do it, but when I'm there, I mean, the energy is how do I serve these people in front of me, and then it gets easy. No photo ops. You know, I hate, you know, we all have that Facebook friend that does so much charity work, but I can't wait to fucking tell you about it. Like, just do it for the right reason, man. And, um, you know, you have to, it all comes down to the kids. And, and they, they do smell bullshit, man. And you, and you see the reaction out of them. And it doesn't matter, you know, where they are developmentally with their minds. And sometimes more so. They know when you're full of shit, man. And they know if you're doing it for the wrong reasons. And they know when your heart's in the wrong place. And, you know, uh, there's a Greek saying that, you know, kids and drunks tell the truth. And, you know, kids... <laughs> can tell the truth because there is like a sixth sense there because they, I guess they haven't been corrupted by the world yet. It's very true. So, uh, as you're talking about building brand and things of this nature, uh, we have another question from Wilson Adams, also in Tennessee out of Nashville. And, and before you were saying that, uh, when it was just down to you and your one brother, he kind of took over the kitchen and you did everything else. So I'd assume with Mark, the kitchen is, a majority of the work. They'll, they'll make it sound like I'm doing totally. the leg work. <laughs> but at the same time, you have legitimately created an international brand at this point. I and mean, that's not hyperbolic to say at this point. Um, so I'd assume you're probably taking the lead on a lot of those initiatives. 
so Wilson's question, uh, so he's really interested to hear how you went about learning how to market. Uh, do you have any background in marketing? And are there any hard and fast lessons you learned up front? He also said, uh, beyond looking forward to the podcast, he wants uh, a way to represent USATF. He's a former thrower himself. What is that? Uh, USA Track and Field. Okay. Yeah, so it's uh, kind of the forgotten team in here in America, you know, so the same way wrestling fans stick together, like track runners always stick together, or field, you know, same thing. So um, uh, if I have to give any immediate advice, uh, stay out of politics, obviously. Uh, but no, I have no background in marketing. I went to school for political science, so I have zero marketing uh, background in that sense. A lot of it's just, uh, just be real, man. Just, uh, you know, you got to know what are you? What are you? Like, are you just a crab cake place? Or what are you? If you're opening up a, a surf shop, what are you? Are you just a surf shop? Or are you the surf shop that, you know, has a really cool employees that are real knowledgeable? Are you the surf shop that, you know, has the happy hours? And like, just, you got to be different because you can't just be just like everybody else. So what makes you different? And why are you the best at that? And you got to prove that over time. It's not going to ha- Nothing happens overnight. That's a cliche, but it's so true. And um, I guess, as I mentioned, you know, with Kid Rock earlier, and I, I caught that quote, if you remember, off one of the old WWE Desire videos, and it said, um, if it sounds good, you'll hear it. Uh, if it's marketed right, you'll buy it. If it, what was the other one? Uh, if it looks good, you'll see it. Yep. But if it's real... You'll feel it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that just happens over time because um, Roman Reigns can come out here tomorrow and tell you he's the guy and you're going to boo him. But when he's beaten ass for four years and he's putting on five-star matches for four years, now all of a sudden you know he's the guy. Yeah, to stick with the, with the wrestling analogy, I mean, John Cena is someone who many fans for a decade plus really resented and rejected, uh, but Vince stuck with his vision and a guy like John Cena proved over a decade plus that he is the real deal and he does it for the right reasons. And now fans may still boo, but they do it out of respect. They actually respect him now. And the booing is a sign of love and admiration that they actually still care. Jordan is actually the best when John Cena comes out. Do you want to go into what you do? Oh, I'll just chant, let's go Cena, Cena sucks. And I'll just give him all the energy. (laughs) Yeah, but for, you know, from a marketing side of uh, things, uh, Cena, you know, he's stuck with his gimmick for what fifteen years now, and that's just you can't change every year, man. You can't change your logo every year. You can't change your sound if you're a band. You have to be who you are, and if you're not, once again, you fail the bullshit test. Right now, I say Jimmy's famous as a brand. It seems like that is who you are, and that remains consistent. But you are. Uh, pivoting or expanding in different areas within your business. And, and one of those are these meals. Uh, so another question we got uh, from Jacob in Chicago. He's interested, what made you decide to launch the meal prep branch of Jimmy's brand? Um, and how do you handle both aspects of the business? How difficult was it to get the meal prep part off the ground? Um, and did the name recognition, as we talked about, from your restaurant help at all? Yeah, definitely it did because um, as I talked to like the wrestlers and the athletes, I make it a point to let people know that we're not a meal prep company as much as we are a restaurant that does meal preps. Because 
what we did was when we researched the business, and the reason I thought of it to answer his first question was for selfish reasons, because I was tired of the only things ready in the kitchen being French fries and cream of crab soup and bread. So I needed some like readily meals you know, for myself. But so we you know we did our research and we tried other companies and it was disgusting, man. And you know, I'd be embarrassed to put that plate out and say that it was from put the Jimmy's name on that. So, you know, what we ended up finding out was a lot of these meal prep companies just have like no culinary background, just a bunch of meatheads in their mom's basement putting things in a black box and calling it meal prep. Uh, but you know, what we did was we really wanted to stick out. So that's why it took us a lot longer than we wanted to uh, to, uh, to to launch it. But uh, once we were ready, we did it right. And they say nothing happens overnight. Well, this really did happen overnight because of the name. Because they were like, there were a couple other local companies, and once they saw Jimmy Seafood, you know, that stamp on there, they were they immediately dropped whatever they were doing, and we were able to really cement our foothold on the local business within six months. And now it's really expanding to nationally, and uh, we, you know we're looking to add some kitchens now throughout the country to you know make it a lot more affordable for people that are in Chicago and eventually LA, and you know majority of the wrestlers in Florida, and we're just getting hammered right now on the shipping costs. So for selfish reasons, we got to open up something down there for them guys. I actually really like how simple the process is. Most people make it way more complicated. You have to. You know, you talk to someone, a liaison, someone at the company, and you're explaining to them all of your goals. You're trying to explain to them all of the macronutrients that you want, how many calories you want to take, what you're currently doing, your athletic background. You give them way more information than necessary, and you pretty much just break it down to like really, really, really simple nutrition. It's like, okay, cool. We've got fats, carbs, and proteins. It's kind of balanced here. You have vegetables, so you've got micronutrients. You're good to go. This is, it couldn't be any easier. And there's only two options. You're like, are you trying to get big? You're trying to like lean out. When it came to actually laying out this plan, was that you? Was that you working with someone who understood nutrition? Is it something that just all the years of culmination of you playing sports and working out, you just kind of understood where to go? It was kind of a little bit of everything. Um, you know, me, obviously, I've been studying this stuff, I guess, 13 years now in my life. Um, so, but as you know, diets change and no two human bodies are the same. So you can't just do one blueprint and think everybody's going to stick to it. Um, there's a gentleman named Bob Lutz who uh, owns Exile Fitness on Pulaski Highway who really helped us launch this, and he's just a diet guru, and um, he knows everybody's different. So he knows that a 130-pound girl is not going to be demanding the same nutrients that a 250-pound guy is, and he's very sensitive to that, and he helped us you know, really carve that website out. But not only in terms of the dietary needs, let's face it, everybody has different taste. So... If you want to get your um, protein from a chicken breast, but I want to get it from a Greek meatball and you want to get it from a steak, we're all going to get the same nutrients, but we're all going to do it in a way that tastes great for us. We don't want to be, we're tired of eating cardboard. You know, we're not machines, we're not robots. You know, meal prep shouldn't suck at the end of the day. And that's where we came in and that's, you know, what's helped us have like immediate success, I guess. It's pretty cool. So now you've taken on this whole other aspect of the business, uh, but yet you're in the middle of Raven season now, so that takes up your time. So has balance uh, and time management been something that you've been kind of figuring out? Yeah, uh, and I really struggled with it until recently, to be honest with you, and I really felt like overwhelmed a lot of times, and I felt like I, I just can't get everything done, and now I'm at the point where I'm okay with that. And, um, for example, today, you know, I could have 
just you know killed myself and worked on the tailgate for three more hours and then had to work on the Oklahoma City wither shit that were got coming up for three more hours and I was like you know what it'll be there tomorrow I'm gonna do this podcast I'm gonna, you know spend time with my girlfriend and I'll wake up an extra hour tomorrow and I'll get my bike out of the way and I'll get to work an hour early and it, it's gonna be there man it's not the end of the world and perspective is very important. Um, the same reason why I feel it's very important to you know go to Greece every summer. It's you got to know why you're doing it. So you know, for a long time I didn't, and I was just so obsessed with my tunnel vision and so obsessed with still proving those people that doubted me wrong during the dark times that I was losing track of the fruits of the labor. And now, just recently, within the last year or less, I've been able to, you know, kind of have a quote-unquote normal life where, you know, I'm out at the restaurant 18, 19 hours a day and, you know, I can have like a normal like nine-to-five job. Do you think if you didn't have that tunnel vision and you had more of a work and pleasure life balance uh, versus working those 18, 19, 20, 21, 22-hour days that you would be as successful no. as you currently are? No. No, no. If if I didn't, then Jimmy's wouldn't be there anymore. So now, you know, transition to where you are currently. What does like a normal day to day look like for you? Where do you find balance, and when do you find time to train? And how many meals are you eating a day? <laughs> well, the, the most important thing right now is trust, uh, and I trust my team. Uh, you know, I trust Garrett, I trust Katie, that's my brother, and they all have responsibilities that they excel at, and they not only do them to a standard that I'm cool with and that I would have done, but as a lot of times they're doing them better than me. So without their abilities and my uh, ability to stop micromanaging, like Vince does. Let the reins. Yeah, right. like it's like, okay, you don't have to do every single thing. Like let me do this one and you know just take a little break. But that was the biggest thing is just trusting people. And uh, that really just started a new chapter in my life. Um, so what was it? I'm sorry, what was the next question? Now that you do have more time because you do like my have, average day, you let the reins go and you, you have trust I kinda in your, just the work people. the events now. Um, and I plan the events. I plan my monthly pay-per-views. And I, so, um, you know, right now, uh, tomorrow, I'll probably, uh, I'll be up around seven. I'll get, a, you know, my workout in. I'll go to the restaurant and I'll start working immediately on the tailgate, uh, see where our numbers are, how many tickets we sold so far. I'll start uh, doing some research and seeing how else we can add to the experience. And at this point, it'll all be a surprise. It'll be a surprise running uh, because those tickets are sold. So how do I give that customer an even better experience what they're expecting for Steelers Week, which they already have high expectations for? Uh, from that, I'll go downstairs. I'll check on the meal prep team. and you know They're crushing it down there. Uh, you know, BJ's in charge of that, so he's got that whole you know operation running like a machine. After that, yeah, I'm probably gonna do do some liquor inventory, and then around 11 o'clock is when I start my meetings. You know, with all the liquor vendors and and beer vendors and charities, uh, future prospective employees. I headhunt a lot. I try to steal you know the best talent out there, just like Vince does. Um, I make sure you know, and I do my walkthrough through the restaurant. I make sure every TV is on a different channel. Uh, no politics, ever on the TV is my biggest pet peeve. So I still micromanage to an extent. You know, and I start eating my meals. You know, five meals a day is, you know, what I shoot for. Um, but I, I have fun, man. Like, I love it. I love my job right now. Um, it's, it's not a job, man. It's a lifestyle. And 
Uh, the energy and the mood at Jimmy's right now is freaking crazy. Um, everybody is extremely happy to be a part of that team. And as you mentioned earlier, it is football season. And anytime it's football season and the Ravens are winning, it's just the whole city is on fire. And you can just uh, just tell a difference in tone with uh, people and, and you know their mannerisms. And uh, everybody's in a much, much, much better mood, I feel like, especially in September because uh, the one thing that every NFL franchise has is hope. So you know, without hope in any facet of life, you're fucked. Um, if you take away hope from anything, especially your opponent, you've won. Uh, if you're the bad guy, but uh, if hope's there, man, uh, it's it's a great feeling, and that's the coolest part of the restaurant business is every day is a new chapter, and there's hope, and we're gonna write a different chapter, and it's gonna be a great story every day, and we never look back, man. We always look forward. Um, one of my old cars, I took out the, the rear view mirrors. Just as a lesson to teach myself, don't look back. Just, you know, keep going forward and things are going to get better. And I think a lot of, the, you know, my coworkers, I, I'm kind of like the elder statesman now. It's crazy. They look at me as a guy that's been through it. And I have street cred in the sense that when I say we're going to do this and it's going to fucking rock, they know that he's done it before and it's going to fucking rock. It might look quirky right now, but he knows what he's doing, so it's going to work. So just trust him. You just like hit all your high spots in in that that like that's my match. I feel my, like my, I want to take it home. Yeah. Per minute was way Fuck too yeah. high. <laughs> that's the new uh, thing at the nerds room now. You see that? What's that? The moves per minute. No, they're like complaining that WWE doesn't have enough moves per minute compared to New Japan. Like, then don't watch, man. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna break it down like that, this is not the show for you. We watched something recently that someone sent to us of of New Japan and how they work camera angles. Just like shooting things from down below, making it seem so much bigger than what it actually is. Like when when um, Kushida or someone goes to like the top rope when Naito's up there, they just look lot larger than life. And and then they do that. And the, I feel like this is what you just did. You you do, you had that moment where they do a big zoom out, which kind of feels like the Pride Days, and you see how vast you know the Japanese crowd is. And then they boom right back into it. And like Okada, the Rainmaker is yeah. doing something huge, right? Those Japanese crowds are something else, though, man. They're so respectful. It it's it's almost uh, it's like fr- not frightening or scary, but it's it's just such an interesting uh, juxtaposition, I guess, or dichotomy. When you, you look at at what it looks like here in the states, and people just going nuts, and then people just sitting there, almost like you know, so like like, like yeah. a golf clap, you know, Culture, or, or not even just reacting. You got to travel, but yeah. in the past yeah, couple years, like they've started to react more. Yeah, I think they're really attracted to the American culture of pro wrestling. And, and they've, now they've always liked the big American. Yeah, the cleaner. Japan. You know, Brock Lesnar, Albert, they've always liked the big, uh, Steve Williams, Big Van Vader. They've always liked the big American that just comes in there and kicks everybody's ass. Yeah, and now they're reacting to a lot of like the character work and entertainment yeah. just as much as the more athletic sporting aspect of, of the performance. It's cool. It's a completely different market, though. But, you know, it's. I, I, it's not going to stop Vince from going over there. He's, uh, you know, he tapped into England. He tapped into India. I think it's only a matter of time before he's going after that, their, you know, their fan base. He so wants it all. Right now, are you're only shipping in the states? Yeah, you know, customs. Yeah, unfortunately. But uh, you know, with uh, the wrestling community really getting behind us, we've had a ton of requests for you know all over the world, and it's humbling. I can send you a T-shirt, but I can't send you a crab cake. 
Yeah. I mean, there's, there are other ways to engage. And at the same time, like the longer you hold out, the more that they're going to want it. Sure. Or, you know, if, if they ever come to the States, you know, it doesn't matter if they're going to California or Vegas. I bet you they make it a point to come to Baltimore. Absolutely. Yeah. And we, I mean, we've seen that happen a bunch. And one of the things that I think really is drawing people in now is the fact that you guys have been on diners, drive-ins and dives, other cooking shows now that are all over the food network. So, I mean, uh, uh, you know, Tony obviously has been the star of those shows. I think I've seen you on them too. I, mean, I get a cameo. Yeah, you get a cameo. So we, right. it's it's like an ongoing joke now because we're gonna we've done two shows nationally. We have three more that are gonna air within the next few months, and in each one of the upcoming three, they're just like the first two where it's like John's got his five second cameo. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, I'm like I'm the I'm the guy in the background. So it's like it's like a cool joke, and I'm totally cool with that because I think locally. Um, people know me a little more than they know Tony as the Jimmy Seafood guy, but it's cool that nationally now Tony's the Jimmy Seafood guy. So it's 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 a great blend, and I don't know if you guys work with family, but it's it's the worst that you can do, man. Um, I was I was literally just going to ask you about the the dynamic of working with family because it can be very challenging. It's hard to tackle those those tough issues when there's so much uh, history involved and there's so much connection. Um, so what is that? Like, how did you guys find, you obviously have found the balance or at least hopefully, you know, from a day to day basis. Yeah, it's great because you know, we work well together because I don't get in his way and he doesn't get in mine. So he does everything food related and I do, and he does all the construction and aesthetic stuff. And I do the beverages, the promotions, everything else. So we don't get in each other's way, but if one thing goes wrong, you don't want to be the brother telling the other brother you fucked up. So that keeps us playing at a really high level at all times because you want to pull your weight and you don't want your brother to say, I told you so. Yeah, and I will say for Justin and I, we're brothers and between bands and now this podcast, we've worked together for over a decade. And one, it's really helped our communication and not only as being successful in a business endeavor or a creative endeavor, but that again, goes back to the family relationship. So in that way, it's helped us. It's forced us in many ways to learn how to communicate better. And as well, it makes me work harder because I want it to be just as successful for my younger brother. So- yeah, and, and I can also speak to it as well because I, I think the really cool thing about it is that we don't stay in our lanes. Uh, we I guess we stay in our lanes because we play to our strengths and we allow that. We're allowed, you know, I, I can think of the places where I wouldn't be as strong, maybe in, in a writing sense or curating some of the art. And Jordan really took the reins with certain things that that he was very strong at, and it was fine. And and I was happy, to, you know, to, to see him do that and and to see him really flourish with things that are new, you know, because mm-hmm. a lot of the podcast stuff for us, Matt, Jordan, and I, we just we just decided to go for it and we figured it out in the last six months as we've been doing it. And the nice thing is, is that everybody just picks up their strength. And, and I think there is an underlying sense of not that you're going to like call someone out and make fun of them or like, you know, shoot on them and cut a promo against them if they fuck up or do something. But, but you elevate your game because you care so much about them. I mean, Matt is a brother to Jordan and I, so it's, it's all family, you know, and everybody wants to see the, the, podcasts do well and we all elevate our game because we care what the other one thinks yeah and you you talk about you know watching them flourish and you get that sense of pride there's really nothing like it so uh, you know it's not just my success it's our success and that just 
it just drives home the point that everything's worth it. And so now that he's getting like all this national pub, it's really cool. And it's like I'm extremely proud. There's like zero jealousy there. Whereas I guess if you weren't related, maybe there there's the opportunity for it to sneak in. Who knows? I'm I'm right there with you because uh, I was talking to my dad on Saturday. We were watching Bellator, which I think Bellator fights. If you've seen Bellator, um, who has like uh, King Mo and and um, Lashley, yeah, you know some some guys uh, that are from the pro wrestling world. They actually have like a ramp and they do more of a pro wrestling style. They do the prize presentations, yeah, exactly. Scott Coker's got it going now. But it, um, I was talking to my dad while we were watching it. And I was saying all of the really cool things that Jordan's about to embark on. He's doing like a, a four-day, um, four-city tour, Chicago, and he's going to Pittsburgh and Buffalo and and Columbus, Columbus, right? And and I was saying, and I was like, my dad knows. I'm saying the cleaner's going to be on this one, and you know, Kenny Omega. This is fucking awesome. He's on the Tampa one, right? He, there's two Florida shows, Lakeland and Fort Lauderdale, and he's doing the four just that Justin just shows, mentioned. Right? Lakeland, yeah, Lakeland. That's in was. a. Yeah, November, Bless I think. Cool. Yeah, and and my dad, I think he could he could just really tell how genuine I was being when I was like putting Jordan over. I was like, yeah. dude, he's fucking doing this and this and this, and like he, you know, he built this relationship. And then when the guy thought he was coming here to do like a beatwell gig, he really just decided to like call a spot. And he looked at his favorite wrestler. Who's your favorite wrestler? Uh, or one of Colt. Oh, Cole Cabana, of course. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right, who, you know, and Jordan's always was, he's like, you know, I bet on myself. And and he's done this. And then to see it come to fruition is like, holy fuck, dude, he fucking did it. Like, he said he was going to do, put it out there in the world, and he did it. And my dad was like, I can, I can feel so palpable, you know, like how genuine you're being and what you're saying. And I was like, well, why would it be anything but? Like, I mean, he's destroying it. And it's my brother. It's my best friend. It's my favorite person. Like, if he's killing it, it's amazing. And... Just, I'm sure it's the same way for you. It's like when we see them succeeding, it makes us elevate our game. When we see them doing certain things, they come back and tell us, hey, this is what I did, and, and here's what I gained from it, and here's maybe where I went wrong, what went you know, super well. So take this and anything you're about to do, right? Do you get that kind of stuff? Absolutely. And on the flip side of things, uh, if one of you is having a bad day or if one of you is messing up, uh, you can talk to each other, uh, and you've been through a lot together, so you know that your heart's in the right place. And also, you're comfortable enough to let them know that they're screwing up, and it just goes a lot longer than a business partner or a buddy. You know, it just uh, it's it's real, it's, and it's I guess that's the theme of this podcast so far as uh, it's it's real and it's it's not bullshit. What's like as real as it gets? Is that UFC related or is that, is I think, that I think WWE related? Right? Yeah, I mean, it is. Yeah, as real as it gets. Yeah, you've lost me there. Oh, yeah, sorry. I, I think this is the best place to take it home. Um, Dude, thanks for being here. You were great. Thanks for coming. I mean, I really appreciate it. I'm honored to be on here. It's cool. I'm yeah, man. So uh, there will be a lot of people paying attention to this. Uh, is there a message that you would like to share with our listeners? Um, and of course, anywhere on social media, the website, the meal prep, et cetera, uh, let them know where to find you. Yeah, I guess if, if I had to you know, give a message, just you know, be true to yourself and just never give up, as your boy Cena says, um, because everybody's got a plan just you're not going to see it right away and i didn't see it right away but i'm happy i'm here now and i wouldn't have changed a thing because if it was easy and if i had it immediately or if it was handed to me uh number one i'd be unbearable and uh number two i definitely wouldn't appreciate it and i wouldn't treat people the way i do and you know i wouldn't uh, develop the relationships that i did along the way 
um, in terms of where you can find us, we're all over the place. Um, Twitter and uh, and Instagram, Jimmy Seafood, jimmysfamousseafood.com for the restaurant, uh, Jimmy's Famous Meals for the meal prep side of things, and uh, Facebook, of course, Jimmy's Famous Seafood. And I think that's everything. I'm very anti-Snapchat. Okay, fair enough. Uh, and, and I guess people can look for you at all these upcoming events. I'll be, I'm always, I'm the guy, uh, I'm the quiet guy in the corner kind of running the show. Tony's uh, more of the life of the party, but I'm there in my man bun. And what was really cool about you, John, <laughs> Dude, I'm coming to hang out. <laughs> uh, what was cool, man bun and all, uh, when you, when we started getting a few questions in the Facebook group, you were the first to actually start responding and interacting uh, with, with the listeners. So if you're listening to this now and you didn't get a chance, uh, there is a thread in there, and uh, and actually when we when we start promoting this episode, even if you just start commenting any follow up questions or new questions you may have uh, for John, uh, I'm sure he'd be happy to pay attention and uh, and connect with you guys in there as well. Yeah, if you want to email me on the side, if you have a more personal question, it's uh, John at Jimmy'sFamousSeafood.com, J O H N. Uh, you know, I got nothing but time on my hands these days, as I alluded to earlier. So. From 5 o'clock on, I'm kind of, you know, just taking some personal time. I'd love to answer them. And, John, I have to tell you this. Um, I have so much more energy uh, now than when I first walked in here. Long day, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, thank you for your energy. That's, I really that's appreciate about, it. I believe you know, in that heavy. I believe in that very, very, very heavy, man. That's why uh, I'm, I'm just trying to get as, way, as far away from social media as I can right now. I want to bring human interaction back to people, man. For <laughs> sure. And, and I think, you know... Uh, What's great about this podcast is it, it just keeps paying dividends. And Matt and I did did a couple of things earlier this week, having some phone call uh, with some some phone calls with some really cool companies. It just keeps paying uh, energy dividends, and it's so invaluable because days are long. You know, all you the things a, we're all trying to accomplish is crazy. Everything else falls into place, man. Yep. Everything else falls into place, and you've seen it. If you speak it. It happens, and if you have a dream, and you guys said this six months ago, you decided to start a podcast, it's no different from the guy that said you know, he wants to get back into shape. In six months, I guarantee you, if he's been going to the gym three or four days, he's going to see dividends pay all throughout the sphere of his life, man, his, his, you know, his romantic life, his professional life. I don't know if he has kids, but you see that stuff, man, it just transcends, and I'm sure you guys don't regret this decision, and I can guarantee you he won't either. And that dude's energy. And Matt can attest to this about two hours ago when he first got here. Like, I've been sick the past two days. And I just was like, Matt, dude, I feel like <laughs> shit right now. And I feel better because of this experience. Yeah, so we weren't on our phones for two hours or, you know, whatever else people are doing these days. Yeah, it was a real conversation. And for me, having known you for a while, this was great because I got to, I, I really got to um, feel that energy because you are the quiet guy in the room. I am very you know? quiet. For the, for the amount of time that we've we've been around each other, you know, we've had good conversation, but it's it's definitely in, in the context of you at work, you keeping an eye on everything. So to have your full attention here and to hear this stuff has been really, uh, really inspiring for me to hear because you haven't just built a small brand. You know, I very much so for many years now and, and even more so now respect the shit out of you and what you're doing. So... It's just very cool to see. It, it really is. So I appreciate you coming and being so open to so responsive about scheduling and all that stuff. So 
Um, I think it's great. I really do. I appreciate it. My therapist it. tells me I have to vocalize more. So that's good. Cool. I guess, this, you this got, was... I, guess uh, I gotta give her a thank you. I gotta give you guys a thank you on her behalf. <laughs> well, no, but you were natural at this. I mean, and, and I, I, I expected nothing less to be honest. I, I knew that given the opportunity you would come here and you would deliver exactly what we were hoping to get. And I think it went beyond that. Honestly. Awesome. I really appreciate it guys. Cool. So thank you, John, to all the listeners. Uh, thank you. As always, we uh, so much respect and appreciate your attention. Uh, please connect with us in the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash chocolate croissants. Uh, this is a living, breathing thing that lasts throughout the week. It's not just these episodes. So if you haven't joined us yet, we're knocking on the door of a thousand people. Uh, we will break that, I'm sure, before you actually hear this episode on Monday morning. Uh, and we would love for you to be a part of it. Uh, if you have a podcast app, which I'm sure you do, if you have a phone, uh, open it up. Type in chocolate croissants. There should be a subscribe button. If you click that, you will get all of these episodes uh, every Monday morning. You don't have to think about it, and you don't have to use your data to listen to it when you're in the car or uh, at the gym or wherever you consume your content. Uh, that would mean a lot to us. Also, if you'd like to rate and review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, that helps a lot. We'd appreciate it, too. Uh, next week is episode 27. We don't know what we're doing next week yet, do we? It's coming soon. We'll let people know in the group. So once we know, it will be in the Facebook group. You will have an opportunity to ask questions for whoever that guest is. Uh, again, John, thank you. You thank were you, man. you were Appreciate a it. superstar. Thank you so much. Yeah, man. Uh, and and for all of the listeners to uh, again, the superstars, our chocolate croissants universe. So thank you guys for that. Uh, that's it. This was twenty six. I liked it. We'll see what 27 has in store for us. So, guys, until next week, I am going to say bye-bye.